I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show. I'm Isaiah Henkel. Today's show is titled Top Clinical Research Professional Career Strategies for PhDs. Now, Clinical Research Professional, CRP, that's just the beginning of the acronyms uh, you will hear and learn about, possibly for the first time today. We are going to be talking about CRA positions, clinical research associate positions, as well as clinical research scientist positions, that's CRSs. We'll talk about CROs, clinical research organizations, pharmaceutical companies, and how this all works together with stakeholders and other people managing sites for clinical trials or doing the research themselves. We have an excellent panel who we are going to jump in and talk to who are currently in these positions. So let's jump in and talk with them now and then discuss what you can do to get hired into this exciting sector. We're going to talk to some clinical research professionals right now. Uh, we're going to have a, a quick three-way discussion. I'm going to bring on Supraja and Monica and Melissa, and then Monica's going to stay with us. So, hi, Supraja, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Isaiah? Really good to see you. It's been a while. Thanks yes. Yes. Hi, Monica. How are you? Hi, Isaiah. Nice to be good here. Good to see you as well. And we might have one more person. Let me see if Melissa can get on. Melissa, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, Hello? you did. Hi, Melissa. <laughs> good to see you. How are you? All right. Well, thank you all for being here. If you could just introduce yourselves and the position and company you're with now, and I'll start, as I see you at least clockwise from my point of view, with you, Supraja. Uh, so it's very nice to be here on this side of the board, I guess. Yes. Uh, my name is Supraja Narasimhan. I'm a senior clinical research scientist. Um, so as of last week, I was at a company called Cariofarm Therapeutics, and next week I'm going to start a new company. So I'm, this week is the transition week wow. for me. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Please congratulate Sapreja in the chat box, if you would. Excellent. Uh, it's uh, definitely a high demand position. We see a lot of that happening. Uh, Monica, how about you? Hello, everyone. This is Monica Vinish, and uh, same as uh, Supraja mentioned, I am working as a CRA uh, with the company called Biorasi. But uh, from next week, I will be um, starting my new position with Seniors Health. So I am. It's a it's a it's a privilege to be a part of this program. Um, thank you, Isaac, for the opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you both. Um, please congratulate Monica in the chat box as well. And Melissa, how are you? Thanks for being with us. Good. Thank you. Um, I started a couple of months ago, two months ago, uh, as a CRA one for a CRO PPD, but I was uh, well, working in a COVID study. So it's, that is very intense. Mm. Uh, previously, I worked uh, for one year as an in-house CRA or remote side monitor. And previously, two years in pharmacovigilance. So perfect. Well, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Well, that's recent too. Congrats! Please congratulate Melissa as well. Uh, so I know you're all very busy. Um, I do want to talk to you about this 
field of where clinical research professionals uh, work, right? And we're going to break this down, but maybe you can help everybody here understand that it's possible for them to get in this role too. too. So maybe talk about, if you could go back to when you were an attendee on a webinar or similar, what were the misconceptions you had about clinical research roles? Like, did you think you had to have actual clinical experience? Did you have imposter syndrome? Was Was there obstacles that you put in your head and limiting beliefs that weren't actually true? And then how did you overcome them to get hired? What advice would you give to your former self? Does that make sense? So what gaps did you have in your knowledge and how did you overcome those knowledge, uh, knowledge gaps to get hired or since working in the clinical research field? What would you tell your former self? And Saprija, we'll start with you. Okay, so I am the, <laughs> the number one. So, so for me, my story is a little different. Um, you know, I w- moved from Ben Science. So I joined Cheeky in 2016. Uh, you know, I was just learning about Cheeky and being uh, the importance of networking. Um, and um, I finished graduate school and I knew I wanted to get into clinical trials or clinical research. So I started taking courses. That's how I started, just to understand that that was the direction that I wanted to go to. And then I actually volunteered for a bit at a hospital um, as a clinical research associate. So working at a site is where I started my journey uh, because I didn't know a whole lot about clinical research. So that was that was a very good experience for me. And, um, you know, four years of that. And then um, I realized that I wanted to be, first of all, part of the bigger picture of drug development and mm-hmm. also be able to use some of my scientific knowledge. So that's why I transitioned into clinical development. And that's where a clinical research scientist um, joined. That's kind of like the place for clinical research scientists. Yeah, I I love that. And we're going to talk about that today, right? So getting that exposure really does help um, if you want to get into this field. And there's multiple ways to do this, whether it's through volunteering, et cetera, But the education, the foundation is crucial and the network is crucial because they can tell you where those opportunities might be. And so for a lot of you here, just getting around other clinical research professionals or people that want to be CRPs uh, is really the starting point. Um, But I would recommend getting around people that are PhDs in these roles because you've learned at a higher level. You have a different skill set. You'll be hired for the because of the fact you're a PhD and you have to leverage those PhD level skills in the right way uh, to be a CRP. So. Uh, please thank Saprija for being here. Again, our, our panel here, they're volunteering their time. They're in these roles. They just like to come and talk to other PhDs to tell you, you can do this too. Um, so Saprija, thank you very much. It's great to see you. Thanks, yeah. So Monica, I know you're going to stay with us, but same question to you. It's a good starting point. Uh, what would you go back and tell your former self? Oh, let me get you off mute here. You might have to do it actually. Yes. There we go. Um, sorry about that. Um, but I would um, recommend that if you, um, you need to first of all, you know, find out what role and which, which direction you want it to go and then take um, step by step. As we have uh, learned from on, on our cheeky webinar that, you know, first of all, is uh, drafting your resume based on based on the keywords and the job that you wanted to be in future. I mean, in uh, uh, so uh, one thing is that second thing is take one step by step or, you know, take one step at a time. So, yes, drafting your resume and building those skills um, as um, you know, I have I have uh, my PhD where I have worked with the patient. 
So I was all, already in clinical research and I knew that after my postdoctoral experience um, and uh, I wanted to move on to the clinical research industry so just take uh, appropriate steps like uh, knowledge wise what you can learn there are so many free courses that time we did not have this course designed for us so i took a couple of you know free courses on nih so that i can uh, i can um, you know be on, on my knowledge i am up to date that what exactly the cra does and what all those gcp guidelines and everything and then secondly you know uh, informational interview informate talk to people and and see what is missing mm. um from your resume and uh, from your experience you have knowledge you have we already have as phd we have all those uh, transferable skills that are required to do this this job any job as a cra or a clinical scientist in my in my informational interviews i get to know that i i still need more hands on experience so i as uh, um supraja mentioned uh, she did the volunteer stuff i did the volunteering too at the site as a study coordinator so that i can gain as much as um you know hands on experience so whatever is available and whatever is missing in your resume or as yes. based on the informational interview just focus on that and just take one step at a time and yes. uh, you will be there you will be yeah. there yeah and, and it just depends on how much time you have we saw this process taking a long time years for phd's for a lot of them so what we did was bring it all together into a single program and make it phd specific because there's a lot of stuff out there that's not phd specific not at the phd level um, and you have to put it piecemeal together it's very difficult and the biggest limiting factor is going to be your network for setting up those informational interviews right you see our panel nodding it's just a fact and i'm guessing most of you have a industry network of zero right i mean how many of you type in zero in the chat box if you have zero crps you're talking to on a weekly basis currently working at these companies there's your problem so we got all of these people together all who have phd's who understand what you've been through what i've been through as phd's that's that's the differentiator so Monica, thank you. We're going to see you again, but please thank Monica for uh, her uh, sharing her story to start here. And Melissa, thank you for waiting. Same question to you. So recent transition, if you could go back and talk to yourself when you first were looking at this career path, what would you tell your former self? First of all, I, I never <laughs> thought that I was going to transition from bench work to clinical research. Uh, it happened, and I'm I'm really happy, uh, really mm -hmm. happy that it happened. Uh, the first thing that uh, I would recommend is, of course, to gain knowledge, because uh, it's it's a totally different world uh, than bench work, and a lot of different concepts, a lot of different uh, involved uh, parties in the clinical research process, and everything working as a team. That new you can uh, uh, transition to this field, but you can uh, have different roles. For example, uh, now as a CRA, I'm working with an in-house CRA that is helping me. Uh, I have the clinical trial manager, which is uh, uh, directing the project. I have the project manager that is directing like all the different groups. I have a, a group uh, that is in charge of site activation. I have a group that is in charge of feasibility, determining which sites are appropriate for this study. So there are a lot of different components that, uh, well, you need to understand uh, how they work together and what, uh, what are the different responsibilities. So first is the knowledge. If you uh, want to take classes, uh, well, you should 
take advantage of these programs there because there are not many programs. And uh, this one, well, you can do it on your own time and as, as fast as possible. Uh, but also, like, uh, uh, gaining experience is really important. Uh, I know, well, the people have done, like, uh, uh, volunteer work. In my case, um, I was uh, on my second postdoc uh, when I decided to transition at UNC, and I had my own NIH grant supporting my training. And uh, because it was supporting my training and the grant was, like, uh, for me, only for me to use, uh, talking to um, the 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 uh, department that through which I got my grant, they told me, okay, so if you if this if you want to ha have this training, we're going to help you to transition. So I uh, got the opportunity of do doing different transitions around the university, uh, working in different projects, and that gave me a little bit of experience. But the key it was also networking because to transition uh, to a different role and in industry, uh, it was not that easy. Uh, always you will apply and you and they will tell you, you are overqualified or underqualified. You are not like in the middle point because you are a PhD, you are overqualified because they usually prefer people with bachelors and you are underqualified because you don't have any experience. So if you can get experience and the knowledge, that will help you. But networking is a, a very, very important key uh, to yes. be able to, to transition. I, I, no, that's great insights. And that's that's all yeah. we have time for. And I really sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, sadly, I mean, uh, you may have to do some volunteering, maybe for six months or maybe take an entry-level position. And then once you gain the experience, uh, then it, it is much easier to transition in the company towards the role that you want. And once you are to a senior level, because you have, PhD, you have a PhD, there is no room for you. So you can keep moving up. That is the advantage of uh, having the PhD as a difference with people that are in this role, but only have bachelors. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. And that's what we want all of you to avoid. So first of all, Thank Melissa in the chat box, if you would. And I want you, I don't want any of you to settle for less for yourself. I don't want you to work in a bachelor's level position, a master's level position. I don't want you to work in a, a position where you're paid the same as a bachelor or a master's. We want you to get you the training and the network you need to be able to leverage it fully to get right into a PhD level position, be paid as a PhD and have your career trajectory mapped out in front of you. And we're going to talk about career trajectory today as well. So there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. You might think, oh, if I could just get a job. Trust me, you don't want that. It's limited thinking. Just get any job, working side by side with a bachelor uh, degree holder or for them, not getting paid what you're worth. We don't want that for you. We want you to get in at the PhD level, and that's what this program is about. So thank you, panel. Please thank our panel in the chat box, if you would. Really good to see you. Thanks all for being here. And I know, Monica, you're going to stay. See you, Supraji. Supraji. Thanks. Thank Bye-bye. Thanks, Melissa. Great panel and great examples. This is a, a very exciting career track. Monica, great to see you today. Thank you for being on with us. Uh, Monica uh, co-created the program with us. Uh, one of the uh, uh, most enjoyable experiences I ever had because Monica is uh, an incredible professional. Her professionalism, her insights, her intelligence in this area is second to none. So we're really lucky to have her on. Thank you. Okay. Use your PhD to get hired as a clinical research professional. Let's start with why did we create an entire program for PhDs on clinical research positions? Because the demand is high. 
So can you walk us through this and, and just tell us a little bit about why this chart keeps climbing so rapidly and what kind of changes are happening in the clinical research sector? So, I mean, why are PhDs in such demand for clinical research roles beyond the obvious because the, the work in this field continues to climb? You know, um, so any any role, I would say, I mean, PhDs are, um, you know, above and beyond in terms of their skills, in terms as I, if I talk about the clinical research. Um, so PhDs, uh, the skills that we already have as a presentation skill, communication skill, working in a stressful environment, meeting the deadlines, we already have all those skills. So, um, so that's why initially, and if we talk about few years back, they were um, the, the the PhDs were. I mean, I have been I have been during my informational interview. I learned that the PhDs are you know overqualified for this role. But if you see today, from last two three years, uh, mm. for most of the CRA role in in any CRO or pharmaceutical company, any project management or any CRA role, you would see more and more PhD because based on their knowledge and their transferable skill even the investigators, they kind of, um, they have uh, built more trust communicating to them because they know uh, they are the PhD and whatever, they are the subject matter expert of yes. whatever protocol they are talking, they know that project. So one thing is the knowledge, you know, as a PhD. Second thing is they, they bring out the information, which is, you know, um, which is, uh, which, which the site as well as the, the PI can trust. Secondly, also the, the training as um, the, during our PhD. So the, we are well, um, you know, we are built in those environment where we can train the graduate students. And similarly, we can, we, we can provide the excellent trainings. Um, and in terms of this, what you're asking is, yes, the, the, in terms of the regulatory um, the regulation that are, you know, increasing and the um, expedited yes. review, the drugs in the market, the quality, the trials that coming up with the advancement of therapeutics, the number of studies, they are going to increase and yes. there will be more demand of the clinical research associate. Any CRO, um, even in a good time, bad time, uh, I don't know about the you know other career, what happened, but the CRO role, it's such a stable role. Anybody who wanted to build a build, um, drug, they need CRA because this is the yes. only um, link between the site and, and, um, and the CRO. So they need CRO, CREs all the time. I just want to make sure all of you have a fundamental understanding of what your job search looks like as a PhD. So gaining this knowledge is crucial, but I want you to start piecing it together in terms of what you see here. So figuring out what you want, obviously, is important. Most of you, you know, you don't even know where to start in your job search. You might think, okay, clinical research is good, but maybe you didn't even know there's two main types of clinical research roles until I just asked you the question. The skills that we're talking about, your tool sets, putting them together in the right resume, the right LinkedIn profile. It's very specific for the type of role you want to get into. So in the Clinical Research Coalition, our program that Monica leads, you will learn how to create your resume and your LinkedIn profile, unlimited resume reviews and edits by our team specifically for these roles. Applications, right? Interviews. We're going to touch on interviews today. It's a very specific interview process, right? A lot of it focuses on regulation, which is Monica, what Monica just mentioned, and then all the way to offers negotiations. But planning your career progression. Two of our three panelists are in the middle of their next career. 
within clinical research. It, it's a very fast field, very in demand. So you need to think a little bit ahead. But first, let's dig into understanding the field. A lot of this is new for you. So Monica, you just brought this up. The Clinical Research Organization, CRO. So if you hear that, it's different than CRA, Clinical Research Associate, which is different than Clinical Research Scientist. And where they often work or which uh, sector or company they work for is often different too, right? So can you help us understand, I, I think, uh, uh, the bird's eye view of what the different companies and departments look like, these different roles do? Uh, just briefly here so we can get our, gain our footing. Sure. Um, so biopharma company is also called the sponsor. Sponsor is somebody who is a whose product or a molecule that, um, you know, they wanted to see um, and they see the efficacy and safety of that particular molecule in different phases of clinical trial. And um, and the, in the clinical research scientist position, I believe they work at the sponsor side and they are the person who are writing, um, you know, the protocol, they help in writing the protocol that they wanted to implement in the clinical yes. trial. Um, so, um, so sometimes they wanted to conduct all the clinical trial um, by themselves as a sponsor, but some of the um, clinical sponsors, they wanted to give that project to the CRO. CRO, basically, they are, you know, they take that project because they have a big network of those sites they uh, in different therapeutic area so they they are contractually an agreement to provide to conduct that clinical trial and take care of the project management from uh, beginning to the end yes including the data and everything and the CRA um, so when we have a project um, at the CRO so there are um, as um, as, a, as somebody mentioned that uh, you know in the in the CRA we have in this uh, in the project we have different roles so one project you will have a project manager uh, who will be taking care of all aspects of that particular protocol or that particular study um, then we will have a clinical trial manager so who will be taking care of of all the clinical operation and clinical research associate, they are part of the clinical trial manager. So they are they are working as a team, um, you know, so they, because clinical trial manager or a project manager, they do not directly go to the site and, you know, train the site and see the how the documentation is filed. It's a CRA. So CRA is the one uh, who is, uh, this is a field role. And uh, these are the people who goes to the site. First of all, they, they need to be expert on that protocol. They are the subject matter expert of that particular molecule that, uh, you know, sponsor wanted to conduct a trial on. And um, so these are the people, CRA, they go to the site, they train the site, look at all the documentation, their capabilities to conduct that trial, if they can able to provide a number of those patients based on the inclusion exclusion criteria, and they, then they file um, they, then based on their um, the evaluation, they evaluate the site, and then they initiate those site based on um, the criteria if they can able to recruit or enroll those patients. So CRA is the one who is the link between the CRO and then, um, then this and the sponsors. So they provide um, that update. Yes. So we're going to dig through this individually, but just for right now, the, the CRS is usually work at the pharmaceutical companies, which are the sponsors. So you guys can start to understand the terminology and there's so many different acronyms covered in the program. We don't have time to go through all of them, but you need to learn them before you even interview. You also need to understand this framework because you'll get asked questions on it. The CRA is the link, right? Like Monica said, between the CRO, 
this organization that really serves as a regulatory coordinator and they help control the sites and they do a lot of the coordination between all of the stakeholders. So if you like research, but you'd like more of maybe the regulation side, you want to branch out more uh, away from the bench, think CRA. You want to be directly at the bench, think CRS. You need to understand the clinical trials process at a PhD level, not just, oh, there's phase two and phase three. We cover that in the program in detail. So clinical operations, there's two different sides to this too. We can you give us again, a bird's eye view of operations? You kind of touched on it, but let's zero into it a bit more and then tell us what GCP is and ICH guidelines are. Right. So the clinical operation aspect is basically the, the, the management of that particular clinical trial on a day-to-day basis. So if it is, um, it could be, uh, you know, tracking the, the visits when the CRA has to go visit the site. Um, whether the site uh, it's a, and it, it could be in us in, in terms of the site communication are you communicating uh, the CRA it's a, ma- mainly CRA's responsibility to collect all the regulatory document and see the quality of those document and file them in the we have a TMF it's called trial master file uh, at the CRO level where we file all those regulatory document to see the quality of those document Third, we have um, uh, investigational product that the sponsors, you know, molecules that we are testing. So we manage as, at the operational level, we manage whether all the sites have sufficient supply of all the investigational material, clinical trial yes. supply material. So that is, I mean, that is just few of the example. There are number of parts of the clinical operation. These are just mainly the top ones. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, let's dig in a bit further now. So you, Monica keeps mentioning this uh, investigative site. So, and there, and you heard our panelists talk about site visits. So, what is the site? What is a site visit? And what are all of these different stakeholders? Just, just briefly, if you. Sure. So the investigative investigative site is usually um, a site uh, where we have a PI. They have a setup for the clinical research, and um, they the PI has experience some experience in the clinical research and and mainly in the therapeutic indication that we are usually reaching out to. Um, so they are the, the, the site is basically consists of the principal investigator, um, then the study coordinators and some study nurse and, um, and some more people based on the complexity of the study. So there are some requirements, but these are the main people, study coordinator, PI, um, data entry person, and then the study nurse. Um, so they are the investigative site who are responsible to participate, who are responsible to provide and enroll the patient of particular study. Um, And then we have a medical monitor, medical monitor, obviously, if there is any query, safety um, related query, or if there is any adverse event happened at the site. So this is medical monitor took care or take care of all those queries uh, from the PI. Uh, Obviously, they they keep CRA in loop. And then they also discuss these queries, whether you need to continue with the patient. Patient should continue based on what particular safety um, issue. So um, medical monitor is responsible for taking care of all the safety related queries. Then we have a grants and contracts. Uh, as Mene mentioned, initially when we approach um, investigative site, so um, once the VC, well, once we evaluate the site, whether site is fit to conduct that study, so then um, the project management team approach to that site, uh, take care of the grants and contracts 
you know, financial side. So uh, how much the site will be paid for the enrollment. So that's the department that they take care of that. Uh, the legal department, uh, they take care of all the, the documentation of confidentiality and, uh, you know, all the agreements. Uh, it's called CDA. So they and non-department uh, side of the PI. So they take care of all um, the issue. Regulatory um, department, they usually as I mentioned that uh, we upload all the documentation on our TMF. Um, so regulatory, they also uh, have a responsibility in particular protocol to look into that document based on the study and the requirement. They uh, do the internal audits for particular study to make sure that the quality of those documents are, you know, appropriate and then acceptable. Um, then we have a reference lab. This is also called, um, you know, the lab, a central lab. So in, in, depending on the study, so the, the samples will be collected from the patient and that's, that particular lab is responsible to provide the, you know, sample results to the site. And based on that, the, we decide that the patient should be, um, I mean, that's a kind of data that provides yeah. us the information that the patient will go further or not. And then we have, um, yes, MRA, uh, it's also called IWRS. So this is uh, important for, uh, you know, a, to make sure that the site has enough investigational product. And then um, some most of the most of the I, uh, IBRS sites, they have this auto dispatch um, features in it. So when they know that based on the enrollment, if the site is running low on the investigational supply, so they automatically um, you know, transfer the IP to the site. So, yes. Well said. Thank you for walking us through that. Please thank Monica for that. I wish that we could give her a round of applause for going through that because uh, it's an intricate process and learning this process is what you'll do in the program, but it's what you're required to do as a CRA, which is, believe it or not, the more common position that PhDs get into in clinical research. CRA is more common than a CRS. It is a regulatory intensive position, as we've discussed in detail just to, just to uh, drive it home here and your time, the day-to-day, -day, right? So just, can you walk us through the day-to-day -day of a CRA because you are one at a senior level, Monica, what, what does it look like? So mostly for the CRA, if you are at the active CRA position, active CRA means when you have, when you have um, two or three protocols and you are handling 12 to 15 sites. So um, usually as um, my, I can, I can just share my experience. So my um, Monday to Wednesday, um, is usually my travel time. So um, most of the companies, they have a requirement to be on site eight days per month. So, um, so you are on site uh, either because of COVID, some of the um, sites, they are not um, there. We are just conducting the virtual, but you are conducting your, you know, visits to the site, either virtually or um, by physically on site. Um, so you two to three days are usually your travel time, your monitoring visit time. And then um, next two days, which is Thursday and Friday. So you are basically catching up uh, with your reports, your letters that you have to send, because after every visit, you have to compile a report um, and uh, we have a timeline we usually have a timeline that like after the visit within first five days you have to finish the submit the draft these kind of and then you have internal one-on-one -on -one meetings and and there are believe me when you have when you're handling 12 to 15 sites you your um, email uh, you will see if you don't check your email for one day you will have 100 emails next day <laughs> wow <laughs> yes yeah. Um, so because every day is different, different sites have different questions, queries and issues. So you are always this role is 
the best part i like about this role is the dynamic nature of this role because every day it's not a monotonous um role so yes you the some few things are common the basic role but every day you are you say you are prog- problem so a solver this role will give you opportunity to uh, you know uh, to to exercise that uh, you know on the day to day basis so basically thursday fridays are my catch up time with my team uh, with my sites um, and we have continuous trainings as well so trainings as well as team meetings so yeah so yeah. that's basically that's, it's a great insight so think about this do you want to be managing you know 12 to 15 incubations or 12 to, 12 to 15 sites. And for those of you that are trying to figure out which type of CRP position you want to get into, um, you can definitely do both. And we've seen people move between both, but I just want to, I want to recall that for all of you who are deciding. I want to, you know, for the, we're going to cover the clinical research scientist position and we have clinical research scientists on the board and the program covers it. It's, not entirely different than working at any research position position in industry. There's just more regulation, which is why we focus heavily on regulation. And the main differences here, including site visits, this idea of a site. Remember, this is a clinical trial site. All of this in clinical research result revolves around a clinical trial. Whatever name or regulatory body in whatever country is managing it, it is a clinical trial. And there are sites that are managing it. And then you have to manage those sites as a CRA or work in them as a CRS. So uh, let's look at this. The, there's uh, four different instances of a, a site visit, which is going to be a new thing to many people here and something that you will be asked about on an interview. What are these four different instances, Monica? Can you walk us through this? And then we'll get into a bit more detail of what you do on site. Absolutely. Um, so site assessment is usually our first visit. Once we decide that uh, this is the, once we evaluate, uh, you know, the PI's um, CV, medical license, and um, this, um, we usually send a feasibility questionnaire to the sites and the PI respond to those sites, uh, those feasibility questionnaire based on their answer. We pick that, okay, this is the, this is the investigator. We should, uh, you know, um, do conduct the site assessment visit because they, in their feasibility, they mentioned that, okay, they can enroll these patients. They have this much experience. Um, so based on those kinds of questions. So um, site assessment is basically the, the, where the CRA evaluate um, the qualification of site staff, including PI, the study coordinator and site facility, whether that site is um, will be able to conduct the study, their experience, um, and overall, it's just the evaluation time. And, uh, and based on um, CRA's evaluation, um, then we select the site. And if we select the site, if we see that they are able to conduct the study, so then only we select that site assessment is basically to evaluate the site. Site goes to the CRA, they uh, look for, look at the facility, ask some, you know, qualification questions. Um, so that's what it is. So once um, the site, and then obviously the CRA will submit the report based on the observation. Um, then after that, based uh, discussion, as per discussion with the study team, uh, once the site, um, they decide that, okay, based on your report, we can select this site. So once the site is selected, we start, we start the site initiation visit. So this is the first visit where, um, you know, the CRA will go to the site and train the site staff, including the PI, uh, study coordinator, and all the people who wanted to, who will be the part of that study. So this is the first visit where CRA train all the site, provide them all the accesses that are required 
for the mm-hmm. study. And after the site initiation, um, so then we provide them a green light signal. Okay, so your site is activated. So you can start enrolling the subject from that particular um, you know, site initiation visit. Um, then after that, um, so once the site start enrolling patients, so after first patient is enrolled, um, then we, uh, we um, conduct the monitoring visit. These are called interim, interim monitoring visits uh, and also named as IMVs. So these are um, basically conducted eight to 10 weeks uh, of time based on the enrollment. Um, you know, if site is enrolling faster and you have so much data to review, um, so you visit those sites. But usually as per the monitoring plan, you just follow the monitoring plan um, for your study. Every monitoring plan is different for different studies. So uh, you base the frequency and every uh, eight to 10 visit, you visit to the site, just, just see the data, the documentation, if the training is required. So, um, so that's what happened at the monitor, routine monitoring. Um, then uh, once the trial is finished once they enroll as per the timeline we have a timeline like for example if we say um, so the site will be stop enrolling 15th December so after 15th December so then uh, we will start once the site stop enrolling then we will conduct the closing visit so at the closing visit so um, we will collect all the documentation related to um, you know all the regulatory documentation and uh, the close there are specific close out visit document we return the investment Investigational products. Yes. There are a lot of uh, stuff that each visit has a different purpose to it. Yeah, and, and this goes into much more detail, of course. So all of you should be paying attention to this because uh, you know if you want to get into a clinical research associate role or a clinical research scientist role, you need to understand this process. You need to understand clinical trials in either role if you want to get into clinical research. You need to understand how they handle adverse events. What does that mean? Protocol compliance right? You'll be on one side of this equation. You need to learn it. So don't check out here because you think it doesn't apply to you. If you want to get into this field, it does. This checklist is an example of what you will go through when you're monitoring a site. Now, a lot of you have been asking about the research positions. Now, those are under development, right? So operations is a CRA, the CRA field, and then development is the CRS field. But you're working in the same overall sector, clinical research. So you do the clinical uh, research that many of you are likely doing now, but for clinical trials and likely for a large pharmaceutical company, although sometimes it can be a different type of company. It might be a biotech, et cetera. Uh, The team overview, Monica touched on this. You have a PI, you have sub-investigators, a medical director. There's positions that are more about coordinating if you haven't realized that yet. It's not just everybody siloed by themselves working on their own thesis project. There's a team, statisticians, scientists, and you're working closely with the regulatory side. So imagine you're doing work at the bench. You're going to have Monica, right, working with you a lot, or at least in terms of your data or the regulations that you're going to have to be following. That's, the, that's how you have to think about it, okay? So it's a, a very research-intensive role. This is why we have clinical research scientists on the board of the Clinical Research Coalition. Uh, you have to write a lot more reports. You're not going to be working on a paper to publish. You're going to be writing reports after you collect data. That's the main difference here, right? So you have your research and analysis, but the writing, right? You're going to write the original protocol too. So as the clinical research scientist, you're writing the clinical trials protocol, like Monica said. You're also writing the regulatory documents for regulatory submissions. 
You're writing the trial data analysis reports and publications, which are covered because we have the board members as well that have worked on the program with us for the clinical research scientist aspect, the developmental side of all of this. A lot more meetings, not just lab meetings and journal clubs, but strategy discussions. What if you do have an adverse event? Where do you go from there? Right? What, what do you need to do to communicate procedures to the CRA, right? to the, 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 the CRO, uh, to make sure you're staying, um, your regulations are uh, being kept? And then the medical monitor, the regulatory department. So you have all of those stakeholders we talked about, but you're just working with them on a different side. They're managing you in a, in a good way. Like they're managing the projects, the, the regulations, et cetera. So expanding your knowledge is the key to getting hired into this. I hear, I see all of you in the chat box over and over again. How, what does this mean for me? How do I get hired? What do I need? You need to get information like I'm showing you here, which is laid out in the Clinical Research Coalition program. You need to get access to a network to people you can talk to about what this role looks like. You can't just be looking online or reaching out to people on LinkedIn for free advice because they know you're just looking around that you haven't invested in yourself. You can't just piecemeal together a great job search strategy or a great resume or a great network and think you're going to get a highly paid job in a very competitive sector uh, of, of clinical research. So interviewing, Monica, let's get a little bit more tactical here, right? The interview process is challenging. If you could, if you could go back and talk about the process uh, to yourself or to somebody who's just starting, what would you tell them to do? Starting with the preparation of an elevator pitch and, and getting used to talking to people in, in a professional setting. Sure. Um, so yeah, um, so your elevator pitch should be, um, you know, it should be, um, it's, it's, it's basically a first question, you know, they've, everybody will ask you, even if you have a first conversation with the HR, they will ask you, hey, tell me about yourself. Um, and the, here you, you should have um, written your elevator pitch, which is very crisp and um, just directly communicate your message what what you are where you are now and where you want to be so basically so that that's what i, I would say that you can write this question practice in yes. front of the mirror again and again video practice so that um, you know you can master this because everybody anybody who will talk to you from starting from your operation manager hr or the panel they are going to ask you this question tell me about yourself so this is first question i would say that not very long just maximum 30 to 90 seconds hmm. and why is this so important for clinical roles you know we see this with lots of clinical roles is having a good elevator pitch being concise in the clinical field, it's much more important than say in academia, right? The professionalism. Can you speak to this a bit? Um, sorry, uh, Isaac. Um, can you hear me? Yes, can I can. Oh, can you speak to me about why professionalism is so important in the clinical sector, much more so than in academia? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, professionalism. You you have to be like you can overdo this, okay? And and that's fine. You can be because. Uh, when you are, I can say this because if you are a CRA, you are representing your CRO because you are the person who are going to the site and representing your company. So you have to uh, be on the top of this to be professional uh, by, by the way you dress up, the way you communicate, the way you train it's, and, and your body language. So everything, the professionalism in any industry, it is very, very important. It's very important, not only as a CRA, but any important, but as a CRA, because you are 
it's a field work and you're going to the site representing yes. the company. It's very important. Yeah, and that's what's crucial here is this this level of professionalism is far and above other sectors for, for the clinic. You see it. I mean, a lot of clinicians, right? They hold themselves to a higher level of professionalism. It's just their culture. And if you can't display that, you're in trouble. Now, a lot of you will think, oh, I know how to dress nice. Like you book learn it. Oh, I know what an elevator pitch is because I can read the slide here. Got it. Check. No, no, no. It's, there's a difference between book learning and behavioral practice. The way that you present yourself, right? It takes practice. It takes being around clinic, current clinical research professionals. And most of you don't know any. This program gives you a pre-made network so that you can practice this. And no matter what kind of interview you end up having, uh, you will pass it. So what, what was your interview process like, Monica? What types of your, whether you had a site visit or uh, virtual interviews, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure, I can, I can tell my recent, um, the transition that is happening that I will be joining a new company. So, but first, first call, always, it's always like the first call will be with your HR. That would be mm -hmm. a phone call. Um, so, but it doesn't mean that you can take this lightly. So you have to be fully prepared. Like you are preparing for the interview for all the basic questions that they are going to ask. And which is mostly tell me about yourself, why this mm -hmm. company, why this job and why now? Um, so you, you, and then the second would be, um, you know, a little bit more, they will, you will have an interview with the, maybe the, the, the operation director, clinical part of somebody who is a director of clinical operation or some, somebody, they will just get to know that overall, um, how, what kind of person you are. And then, you know, um, how would you, where would you see yourself in five years and how ambitious yes. And, and again, these, these are mostly the video interviews. It can be on site if it is in the same city, but if you are in the different city, it could be virtual. So you have to be like dress same as you will dress on site. So then um, the third round would be usually it's a, um, it's a technical rounds where they will check your technical knowledge. Um, if you have clinical experience, whatever have whatever you have put into your uh, resume in terms of your technical skills, in terms of um, your soft skills, um, like for example, if they if you have put the problem solving skill as uh, one of your skill, you need to uh, come up with the story that um, you know. Uh, tell me the example. So they these question will come as a part of the behavioral questions that tell me a situation where you have to deal with some kind of problem. You mentioned that you are a problem solver. How did you, how did you solve that problem? And similarly with conflict of interest. So, and, and some of the, if you are transitioning from directly from the postdoc or a PhD to a CRA role, they are going to, um, you know, there will be some case some it depends on company to company but they provide you some case also so this mm. is the case how would you deal it just to check your knowledge so it's based on companies to company there would be four two to five rounds but but some companies they have just three rounds so it depends company to company yeah and the the questions are covered in the program and they change frequently this is why there's a, a private group associated with it where you can get the nuanced advice from somebody who just got done with an interview. It's like having the answers beforehand because the interview questions, the trends in industry can change month to month. We've all learned that in 2020, things can change quickly. That's why these career paths are exploding. So if you wanna get a, a great salary and get to have impactful work, there's really very few sectors, if any, uh, for PhDs that I think 
um, that you can have both of those things in uh, compared to uh, the clinical research sector. It's just, it's a fascinating sector and it's grown. I mean, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you didn't see PhDs hired into this at the rate that you do now. Um, it's very, very valuable. It's in demand. And if they're specifically looking for PhDs, but if you're invisible online or if you don't have a network, it's, it's going to be very challenging, no matter how much you learn, right. Or how much you've pieced together, you have to create a strategic plan and get access to a network of people that can save you months and months of time uh, and give you that behavioral practice. So Monica, I want to end with this career progression. A lot of you are thinking, okay, well, if I get into this field, where do I go? And you should be thinking that because in a year or two, you can get your first promotion or you can move laterally. Right, so we cover career progression extensively in this program. And Monica, let's let's start with clinical operations, right? So the CRA role, what does it look like in terms of vertical moves and horizontal moves? Yeah, so as a, when you start as a CRA, so maybe there are some companies um, that, you know, they, you have no experience, they will, they will um, onboard you in the CRA program for first six months, they will train you as a CRA, and then you will be CRA. And then, um, you know, so that would be a called a CRA one position. Um, so from CRA one position, um, different companies have some different criteria, either two years or number of protocols that you have handled for that particular, you know, period. So based on that, you can go vertically from CRA one, CRA two and CRA three role. And uh, after once you, they, they, once they see that you can handle the multiple uh, therapeutic indication, simple to complex studies, and then, uh, you know, based on your leadership skills as well, because you are personally, they are developing you as well as a person, as a leader. So that's where you can move on to the senior and, you know, director level, VP level role as well in the clinical operation. Uh, but if you wanted to move to the management side you can either uh, move as a, i have seen in my previous company that um, some of the cras they have moved to they become project managers um, they move to ctm yes. management more towards managing the cra role and then uh, we have um, we have people who move to the quality role where they are looking at the quality of these documentation and the regulatory part of that so there are in the in in itself in the cro so you can move mm -hmm. into the horizontal direction if you wanted to there are many uh, opportunities and this, the same is true for clinical development with crs's right so a lot of these positions will look familiar to you except they'll just have different words in front. Instead of scientist one or scientist two, it'll be clinical research scientist, clinical trial scientist, senior clinical research scientist. Our goal is to get you into the senior level or the upper of the junior level. Don't start at the bottom. If you put things together yourself with no network, we see it happen time and time again, and it's not uncommon for PhDs to get hired into those roles next to BAs and MSs. After all of the work that you've put in, don't get to the end and think, oh, I'm a PhD. Everybody's just going to throw jobs at me. No, you got to do everything right. You got to have the resume right, your LinkedIn profile right, the network. This is your chance to leverage all of your skills, your training, et cetera, not to blow it off and think that it should be easy because nobody's going to do it for you. It's a big part of this program is the actual hiring process for these positions is covered. Uh, so Monica, thank you for your time. That's all we have time for today. Thank Please you. thank Monica. Yeah, thank Monica. you for giving me opportunity and I would uh, like to say that anybody who wanted to you know, have any question they can reach out to me uh, on the LinkedIn and um, 
yeah, happy to happy to be part of this program. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Thank you, Monica. This takes us to the end of this show. You can learn about this program and all of our programs at CheekyScientist.com. If you are new to your job search, you don't know which position's right for you, you can go to PhDsGetHired.com. That's plural, PhDsGetHired.com to learn more about our flagship program, the Cheeky Scientist Association that has helped thousands of PhDs around the world get hired. It'll train you on the basics of your job search and help you find the right position for you. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's Cheeky Radio, C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs? and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees. Nobody else offers this. PhDsGetHired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD, and remember that knowledge is power and your network is your net worth.